This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? Still good, Chad. We're actually recording uh, episode 21 about five minutes after episode 20, so good to talk to you yeah. again. Yeah, it's been so long. Things have changed a lot. We've grown. <laughs> well, as we mentioned in our previous episode that we just recorded, uh, A Benihana Christmas is a double episode of The Office show, so it's only going to be it's going to be the only one we talk about in this episode. So uh, a little bit beefier discussion than we would normally reserve for one episode because it's a little bit beefier than the typical episode of The Office. So I think that's all of our housekeeping, so let's dive in. Um, stats for Benihana Christmas. It aired on December 14th, 2006. It was directed by Harold Ramis and written by Jennifer Salota. In this episode, it is Christmas time, and The Office is preparing for their annual office Christmas party, this year themed around the Nutcracker. Michael is excited to have his girlfriend Carol come around, but when she shows up angry about him photoshopping his face onto an old family photo for his Christmas card, she breaks up with him, leaving him angry and wanting to cancel Christmas. To cheer him up, Andy takes Michael, along with Jim and Dwight, to Benihana, a in hibachi restaurant, where they get drunk and pick up a couple of waitresses to join them at the office party. Speaking of the office party, Angela continues to impose her whim on the other members of the party planning committee, kicking Karen out because she's apparently not good at it. To retaliate, Karen and Pam join forces to throw their own party to compete with Angela's Nutcracker party, leaving the rest of the office to decide which party to attend. A lot of rivalry in this episode. We have the one you said between the various members of the party planning committee. We have some Dwight-Andy rivalry. So it's um, a tense Christmas here. It is. And from the very start, Michael shows up with uh, this old bike, old bicycle for the toy drive box. And it led me to question, why bring a toy at all if he's not buying a new one? Um, It sort of reminds me of Michael in the season two Christmas episode where he buys the iPod for Ryan to show off. Only this time it's like he was trying to show off without putting any effort into it. Right. I mean, I can almost guarantee that a kid would have preferred a new, much smaller gift. I mean, apparently the bike was in such bad shape that people who were standing, you know, feet away could tell that it was an old bike because they asked, man, you know, is that your old bike? The the, the paint's chipping, the tires are worn. You probably shouldn't be donating a, a bike in that bad of shape, but Michael's trying to impress, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um... Then we get to Michael's central conflict for the episode, which, as I mentioned, he photoshops his face onto Carol's old family photo with her kids and ex-husband. And additional comment on that, I just said gross. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's such a not okay thing to do. I mean, I sort of get why he did it. We've established on the show before that Michael just wants a family and he likes Carol's family. But... One, he doesn't know the circumstances between her and her ex or his relationship with the kids or any other variety of factors. And she just now, just recently, turned down his marriage proposal the last time we saw her in uh, Diwali. So this was really a super not okay thing for him to do, and I completely understand her reaction. Yeah, they've been dating for not very long at all. Um, And the fact that he photoshops his face over the ex-husband's face, which is 
wrong to begin with. And then it's just saying, this is our family now, which, again, mm. they've been dating for such a short period of time. It's not his family. He's dating a woman with kids is what he's doing. Uh, so just super inappropriate, of course. And um, Carol is naturally disappointed and freaked out by it and breaks up with Michael. And then after being broken up with, he invites her to Sandals, Jamaica, which he has these two tickets um, for this big trip with Carol, which nice of him to plan. But again, you've been dating for there's no time stamp on it right now, but I'm thinking in the two or three months zone. What do you think? It's been at least that long, maybe even a little bit longer as far as time goes. But in Diwali, they established that it had only been, what, seven, nine dates at that point? Yeah. And that was late October. So this isn't much later. And it it can't have been too many more dates, I'd imagine. So really, really early to be planning a trip to Jamaica. Um, mm-hmm. But he does it and asks her after she just broke up with him. So he's... He's kind of all over the place. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to me because Carol is basically, I mean, it's because of the photoshopping the photo, but he she's basically breaking up with Michael because he's too much all of the time. Uh, he proposed to her after seven to nine dates. I don't remember the, the number specifically, but after not that long, and he convinced her in that episode that it was a, a dress-up party, and so she's dressed up in a cheerleader outfit and is so completely out of place. And there have been all these various instances where Michael, just being Michael, was too much. And he, she breaks up with him, and he says, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. This will make it better. I planned this trip for you. And that it's just being too much again. Um, what about her Christmas plans? What about her kids? What about the rest of her family? He just, he jumps too quickly into these situations that only end with him pushing people away and his own disappointment. And as she's walking out the door, he tries to sort of assert control over the situation by saying, Carol, if you walk out that door, it's over, as if that would change her mind. And it just, it doesn't. Yeah, like she, she came here to break up with you. A door is not going to stop that. I mean, she knows what she's doing. Also, kind of a, a funny bit about the Sandals Jamaica thing. When he's in his talking head describing this to the camera, he says, it's all-inclusive. You know <laughs> what that means? And he kind of wiggles his eyebrows. As if all-inclusive means something sexual? Or like, <laughs> it's, yeah. what that means is, you know, you're, they pay for your food or your housing and everything is sort of included in the price of your trip. It doesn't mean anything than that. And he's just making it into some huge romantic trip, which if she was into the idea of going, then yeah, but you are broken up. No. Yeah. And every time he mentions the sandals trip in this episode, he mentions the fact that it's all inclusive. Like it's the selling point of right. the, like the, the, the exclamation point at the end of the statement. And it, it, I mean, it's cool, but really it's, it's nothing that special. So she breaks up with him. She leaves. Uh, it's over and he falls apart. And he tries to cancel Christmas. <laughs> he he once again went all in on a woman and came out on the losing side. That's just story of Michael's life at this point in the show. So Andy um, says, you know what? No, we're not going to mope. We're going to go. Um, actually, we are going to mope, but we're going to go do it at Benihana. So he takes Michael, Jim, and Dwight to Benihana, and they drink their sorrows away while eating hibachi food. And so... I love that bit where the couple 
that's on the date separates Dwight from the other three, um, <laughs> which is something that's always bugged me because that couple should have moved down. <laughs> they, yeah, they should have. They absolutely should have. But um, it made for a funny bit where um, we get to see more of that tension between Dwight and Andy. Andy's getting to sit next to Michael. And um, we're seeing that tension really rise because Dwight's always been Michael's number two. And now that Andy's here, and you know what? He was right. He said when he moved to Scranton that he's going to be um, Michael's new go-to guy. And he is becoming that way. They now have a secret handshake. The little, you know, they 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 bump fists and do a little exploding thing. They're friends now. Um, mm-hmm. And Dwight sees that and is literally being pushed out of the circle. Um, so that's been an interesting kind of plot point to follow. At the restaurant, Andy is spoon-feeding Michael all this nonsense about how the waitresses have been eyeing them all night and that they should invite them to the Christmas party. Well, the waitresses are eyeing them all night because it's their job to pay attention to their customers. So let's nix that one yeah. right off the gate. And then, no, they shouldn't invite them to the Christmas party. They're, they're waitresses. They're supposed to be nice to them. That's all their duty is, is to, to be nice and to bring your food and to serve you at the restaurant. No obligations further than that. But... They invite them anyways, but then the next we see is Andy and Michael entering the office with two completely different women. Like, it's not even the same waitresses. (laughs) And even later, Michael can't tell the difference between these two women and says, you know how all uh, waitresses look alike. (laughs) He's so racist. These women are, they they don't look like each other. They're both Asian, yes, but that's where the similarity really stops. Um, and so he, uh, has to mark the one that was his and it's, oh, Michael, no. (laughs) And I gotta wonder how that happened. Um, how they got the other waitresses. I I have this stupid little belief that maybe Cindy was like one of the cool waitresses at Benihana and she was like, didn't want to go. So she maybe convinced these other less cool waitresses to go with Michael. Probably a totally, um made up little fiction in my head but i think she was just so not into the idea of going that she maybe got somebody else to go for her um i like that idea <laughs> maybe she said he, he he wouldn't even realize that it wasn't me right like <laughs> oh he's she'd great. be right you girls should go with him because he's wonderful but um regardless <laughs> michael ends up with two totally different women yeah, and there's this painful moment later in the episode where him and Andy are singing John Mayer's Your Body is a Wonderland to them. It's just awkward, especially when you find out um, he, he mentions the sandals trip to the girl who is his, uh, the one he thinks is Cindy, right? And uh, he says, it's all inclusive. Uh, I'd like you to go with me. I like you a lot. I, I, I think you're great. And she says, nah, I got school. Oh man, uh, she she's got school. Uh, I I hope that she's talking about like college, college? or something because I mean, really, either way, it's gross. But especially if she's in high school, we're pegging Michael at what forty five, maybe forty. Yeah, early forties, first yeah, half of the forties, right? So regardless, it's it's quite a bit older than a college student if she's in college. Mm-hmm. So, eesh. no, thank you. Uh, but at the end of the day he accepts the fact that it was a rebound after sitting and talking with jim and he decides to call one last person to ask to sandals and uh, we don't know who but we can make our assumptions (laughs) yeah we we see a phone call being made he's inviting somebody to sandals and that person accepts 
So we'll see. Um, yeah, it'd, it'd be unfair for us to make assumptions because obviously our assumptions are correct because we've seen past we've this. We've seen and, it, but... Yeah, we're trying not to spoil anything at this point. So stick around for the next episode and you'll find out for sure who went. <laughs> so moving on to some other characters, um, Pam decides to gift Jim this year for Christmas the gift of pranking Dwight. So she says that she has been... Um, compiling a a whole little storyline for Dwight where the CIA is basically recruiting Dwight. And so Pam's gift to Jim is that he gets to decide what Dwight's top mission is for the CIA. And she's so excited by it. She says, great, you know, we're, we're, we're pranking around again. We're, we're joking around. This is a great gift to give to Jim. He completely turns it down and says, you know what? I don't feel like I should be doing this stuff anymore. Um, And he has a talking head. He says, you know, I feel like there's a chance for me to start over. If I fall back into the same things I used to do, then what am I doing? Um, Again, I think that's more evidence of him not wanting to fall back in love with Pam. And I think if he works too closely with her or if he really becomes her friend for real again, that he'll fall back in love with her. Yeah, I think it's it's obvious subtext to people who've been paying attention to the show that when he says if I go back to the the things I used to do, he's not talking about pranking Dwight. He's talking about hanging out with Pam and having fun with Pam. And uh, you're right. Uh, that would lead to him probably having feelings for her again, just because that, that bond that they had was so strong before. And when he does turn her down, she's obviously disappointed because, you know, if you think about it, this was something she'd put a lot of effort into for a long time. She's been planning this for quite a while. She said, for the past few months, I've been sending Dwight letters from the CIA, and uh, it's only for him to turn her down. It, it's disappointing. A bit more from Jim as well. Um, we see more evidence of him being uncomfortable with Karen and Pam being friends. So Karen and Pam have a little bit of a friendship going on in this episode because they play on the other party planning committee. They are the two members of that party planning committee, and we see... Jim just kind of eyeing them, and he even has a talking head as well. He says, yeah, it looks like the Scranton people and the Stanford people are coming together. That's what you want, right? It's He's pretty uncomfortable. Um, but I've always kind of loved the Pam-Karen friendship. I think that they would actually make pretty good friends. I think so, too. And, you know, there was that scene earlier in the party planning committee where Angela just basically kicks Karen out. You're not good at this. You tried. You've obviously failed. Get out. And neither Phyllis nor Pam says anything about it to defend her. And Pam feels bad about it later, um, even though she's maybe felt a little cold towards Karen because of her relationship with Jim. Uh, But she does go up to her and apologizes and they strike up a conversation and Jim is just sort of in the background staring with this look on his face, like (laughs) what is happening right now? (laughs) Um, Because that's exactly what he talked about really. Well, he didn't talk about it. That was the implication of what he was saying in the previous episode where he he really didn't want to involve them at all. Um, So they plan this alternate party and they stamp out Angela's in terms of turnout and fun. But she sees how badly Angela is upset by this, and they talk, uh, her and Karen talk, about ending the committee to plan parties, as they've called themselves, and they make the gesture of merging their party with Angela's to make her feel better. So it, it's 
it started off as a way to retaliate and sort of get revenge for Angela treating them so poorly, but ends with the coming together as you would want on Christmas. And uh, uh, just real quick, I wanted to mention it's telling that there's no secret Santa this year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It did not go very well last year. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did just want to mention that real quick, but uh, yeah, they're getting along her and Karen and uh, they, they do make amends with Angela by the end of the episode. I also did want to say that um, Pam admits that she's been cold to Karen and she's not sure why we know why she's been cold to Karen, but um, Pam either doesn't know or doesn't you know, want to talk about that. And um, she says, because Karen hasn't done anything to me. Um, so they mm-hmm. attempt to be friends and they are, I think they're they're They get along well and there's no reason that they shouldn't. I mean, if Jim, has or had feelings for for both of them for either of them they have probably a lot in common and uh, i think that their their sense of humor is really compatible and they uh planned a good party and they came together to uh, make angela feel better so it was a good little arc for those two i agree um now jim there there was one more particular moment with him where at the end of the episode he is consoling michael and he i love these sort of more intimate moments between him and michael like we had one at the end of uh booze cruise where michael says engaged ain't married don't ever give up uh in talking about pam who just sort of renewed her engagement with roy in a lot of ways uh but in this one jim is on the other side and consoling michael he says you know you just you just had a rebound they can be fun but when it's over you're left thinking about the one who broke your heart and that sort of had almost a question mark on the end of it for me because is Karen a rebound for Jim? You got to wonder that. And in the end of the episode, he does decide to play along with Pam. And so that just really makes me, uh, as far as the, the, the CIA trip, I mean, uh, with Dwight. And it makes me wonder, is he accepting that he still has feelings for her? Because, I mean, there's a tradition in the show so far of how the characters will say one thing and they're obviously implying or as audience members, we're supposed to infer from what they're implying. That's a sort of fun little reference to a previous episode too. <laughs> um, that, that what the characters are saying has deeper meaning than what they're saying. And so it would not be unheard of for Jim to be having this conversation about Michael having a rebound and you're left thinking about the one who broke your heart. And here Jim is just having started this relationship with somebody else after having his heart broken by Pam. So what, what is happening? We don't know yet so far him and Karen are happy and that's great. And I hope it lasts for them. Um, but we don't know there, there, there's definitely some, some things to consider. That's one of the reasons why I love this show so much. And I've said it before and I'm sure I will say it again, but it is a comedy and it's, it's, I mean, vastly a comedy. It's first and foremost by far a comedy, but there are some serious dramatic elements too. And there's a lot of subtext and there's a lot of um, really thoughtful moments in the office as well. And uh, it it does challenge the audience to kind of think um, past the comedy, if that makes sense. And it's, it's really, really good at doing that. So yeah, this whole Jim, Pam, Karen thing it's this whole underlying story underneath this this very comedic um, series and episode. So 
I love that about The Office, that they're just able to make the audience think that way. Now, as for Angela, it's easy to tell why Pam and Karen felt the need to sort of retaliate against her. Uh, when we first see her in this episode, they are meeting as a party planning committee and tells Phyllis to buy green streamers. And Phyllis says, I thought you said green was whorish, which I think is what she said to Pam back in uh, Michael's birthday, maybe. Or it was one of the other yeah, epi- it was earlier episodes. Very early, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Angela retaliates and says, no, orange is whorish. And she says that to Phyllis, who is wearing orange. So she's she's like super on edge for this. Uh, party planning only brings out the worst in Angela so far. And the, the thing that gets Karen kicked out is she suggests bringing a Christmas tradition or two from the Stamper branch to sort of make the new people feel more at home. And Angela shoots them all down and says they're all terrible ideas. And I'm just left wondering, do you think that Angela is just against change? Like she's set in her ways and doesn't want anything to differ from that or do you think she's against someone else making the suggestions in the group hmm um i think she's probably extremely type a and has to plan everything herself and i think if angela doesn't do it herself it's not going to be done as well um mm-hmm. as, as she could trust do it. issues yeah i think probably that's that's it and yeah, and she's very um, conservative and very traditional. So I think the idea of a karaoke margarita Christmas is just not her idea of Christmas. It's Nutcracker Christmas, and that's um, way more classic and way more traditional. And I don't think that she wants to even broaden her point of view to to include margaritas at Christmas. I mean, the heresy. So, um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just tradition, maybe. Yeah, tradition and uh, her wanting to be the boss. Nobody else comes up with ideas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And she uses her power as head of the party planning committee to control Phyllis the whole rest of the episode as well. uh, Because these parties have split off and Phyllis is sort of eyeing the other party like, you know, that one looks more fun, but I'm, I'm dedicated to this one. And Phyllis goes and gets a snack and Pam and Karen are setting up for their alternate party. And Phyllis says, you, you should set out salt for salting the rims of your margaritas. And uh, Angela walks in and says, hey, Phyllis, come with me. Phyllis says, you know, I'm, I'm just getting a snack. And Pam says, Phyllis, you can stay. And Angela says, hey, don't tell Phyllis what to do. But then she goes and says, come, Phyllis. Like right. she's a dog or something. We say that a lot between Phyllis and Angela, how Angela is somehow somehow her boss in this office where they don't actually work in the same department. Phyllis is in sales and Angela's in accounting. The only way that this, that Angela could possibly be in charge of her is in this committee, which is so frivolous and really doesn't even exist. She has this huge amount of idea of power over Phyllis and she uses it. Okay, well, moving on to the funny moments, I do want to mention more of the cold open where Dwight brings in a dead goose that he accidentally ran over and he drops it on Pam's desk at reception and says, it's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) And Toby tells him, Dwight, you you can't keep this here. And he he hints that there was a previous incident and Dwight tells us uh, in a talking head about bringing a duck in previously and it was alive and people got attached to it and didn't want to see it killed or 
eat it. <laughs> Toby tries desperately to win, but Dwight is relentless and Toby eventually concedes. Uh, Toby has a bit of a tough episode here. I think my favorite part about that whole exchange is that Dwight fully expects to prepare an entire goose in an office kitchen um, from <laughs> cleaning the goose to, you know, preparing it and cooking it um, in a kitchen that probably only has a microwave, a coffee pot, a refrigerator. I would be very surprised if it even had a stovetop and almost definitely no oven. How are you going to prepare an entire goose that maybe weighs 60 pounds, it looks like? I mean, that's <laughs> such a huge undertaking. I don't know how he expected to do that. Yeah, I'm trying to go through the the kitchen layout in my head, and I don't think there's any of the things that you would need to cook it. There's yeah. definitely the microwaves, and there's the refrigerator and the coffee pot, and yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't um, think he's going to end up doing that. No, he just acts like it's the most normal thing in the world, like... It's just a goose, everybody. I'm going to prepare this. And Jim calls him out on it. He, he walks up to the desk and says, what's this? And uh, Dwight says, dead goose. Or uh, like, like it's the most obvious thing in the world. Like, obviously, it's a dead goose. And Jim says, oh, of course. I'm like, oh, well, why should I question this? <laughs> and then uh, when Dwight says that the Shroots use all of the goose, all of the goose, even the goose grease that you can use to save yourself from a trip to the store for expensive goose grease. <laughs> Jim says, wow, win-win. <laughs> Moving on to Michael a little bit. I love this little minor plot point of the Dunder Mifflin robes, which are the Christmas gift this year from corporate. Um, a couple of bits about that. So one, they're short a robe. So Michael tells Dwight to go steal Toby's robe from him because... Their short one, right? So if anybody probably wouldn't get a robe, it would be Michael. But no, Michael needs his robe. And in fact, he wears it all day long, nearly, when he's in mourning after his breakup with Carol. So he spends his entire day in a suit with a robe over it. Um, like it's, you know, he's he just needs a pint of ice cream and some cookie dough, and he's wallowing after his breakup in the office, which always made me laugh. Yeah, he sticks Dwight on Toby to steal it from him, or steal an extra one from him. And uh, he takes it from Toby, and Toby just sort of sits there looking forlorn and says, why? <laughs> He's why? so so upset. Why, why'd you take that from me? Cause, cause because Dwight just, just a... wordlessly takes it. He doesn't even say anything. He just snatches it from him. Yeah, Dw Dwight approaches Toby, and Toby starts to say something about, hey, these are nice bathrobes, right? And Dwight just wordlessly takes the bag and walks away. <laughs> um, and... Uh, a couple other Michael moments that do make me laugh. There's one small thing where after Carol's broken up with him, he's laying on the floor next to Pam's desk and he says, it hurts. It hurts my heart. It hurts my stomach. It hurts my arms. Pam says, why are you laying like that? <laughs> and then Michael wordlessly, or he, he like shifts or something. He says, thank you. So he wasn't talking about the breakup hurting. He was talking about laying in an uncomfortable position. Uh, it's, it's silly. Um, and while he's mourning at his computer, he is listening to a 30-second preview of James Blunt's Goodbye, My Lover. My, uh, Dwight says, you know, you could just buy it and listen to the whole thing. Michael says, I don't need to buy it. I just want a taste of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite. It's, it's a bit on the nose for their humor, but it always makes me laugh. Yeah. 
but probably my favorite Michael moment of the episode is his whole bros before hose monologue. Yes. <laughs> where it starts off favorite. innocently enough and then it devolves into him like breaking into tears. <laughs> and uh, then you find out she's not yo ho, no mo. No mo. <laughs> I, I have it here and I think it's worth reciting. Okay, I, I'd love to hear it. Bros before hose. Why? They've got your back after your hoe rips your heart out for no good reason. And you were nothing but great to your hoe and told her that she was the only hoe for you and that she was better than all the other hoes in the world. And then, and then suddenly she's not yo ho, no mo. <laughs> and it's just, he starts so, he, I think he starts smiling, right? And he's, he's happy and he's, he's excited about lunch with his friends. And then he's just absolutely heartbroken about Carol and, um, Oh, he just starts crying nearly at the end of it. And it just, oh, it's so funny. <laughs> the funniest part is that he keeps calling her a hoe all the way throughout. <laughs> right. Like, not not the way to win her back, Michael. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, what else? Let's see. I love Jim's um, validity committee to determine. <laughs> That's exactly what I was yeah. about to say. <laughs> um, he, he creates this committee to determine the validity of the two party planning committees, which the rhyming really just tops it off. Um, it's the, he's the sole member of this committee, and he, he treats it very professionally, very officially. And he determines that the new committee, the Committee to Plan Parties, which is the Karen and Pam committee, he deems it valid. And Dwight is kind of sticking it for Angela here and says, no, 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 like, that can't be right. I, I, I request permission to join the validity committee. And Jim takes a second, thinks about it, and says, permission denied. And <laughs> Dwight's, like, actually bummed as if he had a shot of getting into this one-man committee. <laughs> right, that's my favorite part about it, is that Dwight actually tries to join the committee rather than just uh, expressing his uh, disagreement or something. It's like, can I, can I join the validity committee? Mm, denied. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> then, let's see, as far as Dwight goes, the, the funny moment that I had mentioned for him was at the end when Angela and Karen and Pam's party has merged and everybody's doing karaoke and Angela is singing Little Drummer Boy. And Dwight is holding the microphone for her. And he's like singing the drum part along with her as, as she's uh, sitting there and her, her hands are interlinked. And she's very proper singing the song about the, the little boy playing the drum for Jesus. And Dwight's underneath her. It's pretty funny. Which I happened to watch the pilot again last night, which I haven't actually done since we started this podcast. Um and the very first sound, the very first shot we see of Dwight is him singing The Little Drummer Boy. Mm -hmm. The same part, which I hadn't tied that together, but it's the same that he's doing right here, uh, which is really funny. And it makes me wonder if all along they had been together, if I, I don't know, uh, but I had forgotten that that was the very first thing that we saw of Dwight. Yeah. Uh, it, which was funny then because it wasn't Christmas time or close to Christmas time. And uh, he was like singing this hard rock version of Drummer Boy in his head. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Andy, early on in the episode, was talking to Jim about how he just couldn't believe, or Jim and Michael, I think, he just couldn't believe that the girl he'd been buying lattes from for a year didn't recognize him when he told her she looked hotter than usual. He says, can you believe that? And Jim says, Yes, because again, baristas, waitresses, anybody in that kind of position doesn't owe you 
anything except for the product you order from them. Yep. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can vouch for that. It's very, very true. Um, Speaking of of the restaurant, um, Dwight explaining to Cindy the waitress how to correctly butcher a goose (laughs) is one of my favorite moments. Um, Maybe top 20 moments in in the office. Uh, Just watching Cindy's face. So... Because, again, Dwight has been separated from the group, he can't hear what's going on. And Cindy and Michael and Andy are having a whole thing where, long story short, Cindy's eyes are closed. And Dwight asks Jim, hey, hey, what's what's going on? What's she doing? Um, Jim tells Dwight that she's narcoleptic, that she's asleep. And now that she's awake, oh, her eyes are open. Great. Oh, but see, now she can't remember how to properly butcher a goose Dwight can you help her out and so he just shouts across the table gets her attention and just graphically describes slitting the goose's throat and having a bucket to catch all the blood and guts and everyone else at the table is just absolutely horrified I mean you're at dinner you don't talk about that and uh, oh it's hilarious and it's proof, too, that Jim has no problem messing with Dwight now that he's number two in the office it's just that Spending time with Pam and messing right. with Dwight is different. Um, Ryan is uh, almost recruited to go along for lunch by Michael, and he gives every excuse in the book. He says, I'm not feeling well. I've got lots of work to do. I ate there last night <laughs> and a few <laughs> other things. And uh, Michael, I think, just says, feel better or something like that. Um, and Jim actually comments on the fact that, man, you... you didn't leave any for me and Ryan even lists off a few off he says I'm playing a different game Jim or something like that it's pretty funny I think the last one I wanted to mention um was subtle and I didn't really think of it until recently but um so when Pam and Karen announce that their party is starting um which we remember from their their flyers the party was going to be starting at 245 just 15 minutes before Angela's so when they're announcing that their party is starting, Angela interrupts, says something about their paychecks, just to kind of, you know, distract the office from going to that party, and then goes and make a, she goes and makes a phone call to Dwight and asks if it's okay to start her party early. So her party is to start at three. The Margarita party is starting at two forty-five. So she thought she had to go ask permission. To start her party 15 minutes early, there's already a party going on. Her her boss is out getting drunk at a Benihana. You can probably go ahead and start your party 15 minutes early, but she's so official. She has to go, you know, make sure that everything is cleared. And it's just so, it's so Angela. She's so type A. Yeah, it's interesting to me that she thinks that Michael would care that it starts 15 minutes yeah. early, especially when he's not there. He's um, out getting drunk. He's He doesn't care. Yeah, Dwight is the one who answers the call, and she says, did did Michael authorize this? I, I don't care if Michael <laughs> authorizes this. <laughs> no. Um, I have just a few more small moments to mention. Ryan has another talking head where he says, I miss the days when there was only one party I didn't want to go to. <laughs> um, and then there's another moment where in the kitchen, Toby greets Kevin with a pat on the back and sort of lingers for a second to rub the robe because Toby has had his robe taken away from him. Uh, and Kevin is just left standing awkwardly after Toby has sort of fondled the the back of Kevin's robe. <laughs> um, 
And it's also worth mentioning, since we, we've talked a little bit about Toby and the robe, that Pam, at the end of the episode, we see her handing Toby a robe, whether it's hers or somebody else's or an extra that she happened to find. She gives Toby a robe, and it's a nice moment. Toby gets his robe in the end, after all. Uh, but we get some karaoke from people. Uh, Kevin sings Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know very dramatically, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, Creed actually sings a song called Spinning and Reelin' with Love, which, I did my research, is a song by the Grassroots, uh, which is the band yep. he was a part of. Yep. Could have guessed. That's awesome. Very nice. There's, there's videos of him singing it on YouTube recently as well uh, from like various concerts or whatever he's done. Uh, so worth looking that up. And uh, just because I mentioned Creed, there's another moment earlier in the episode where he takes a toy from the toy drive box that we mentioned at the start. And Jim says, actually, Creed, I think you're supposed to put a toy in the box. And Creed just responds, and happy holiday to you, and moves along. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on to some deleted scenes. I only had a few. Um, We get a really nasty moment from Angela. She is complaining about... um, Karen and Pam throwing their own party to Toby. And Toby says, you know what? It's okay. Um, They're allowed to do that. And Angela slaps him across the face, which is, I know that party planning makes her tense, but holy moly. Um, Toby decides to write Angela up and she says back to him, you know what? Michael was so right about you. You are pathetic, which is really like, ooh, First of all, he's your HR guy, so that's risky and uh, just really, really hurtful stuff. Yeah, I'm every once in a while, there's a deleted scene where I'm like, yes, I'm really glad they cut that from the episode because it sort of changes a character in my eyes a little bit. And this was a moment where it was just a little bit too far for Angela. I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's out of character necessarily, but it just makes me like her at this point in the show a little bit less and i don't really i want to like all the characters but man that that hurt Uh, right you are pathetic you don't get to slap your coworkers. that's not no no. and calling anybody pathetic that's just crossing the line in so many ways i think um it's tough and i i like i I feel bad for toby (laughs) because he, he has a tough episode it's it's real rough for him uh Another Angela moment was uh, she had a talking head where she says she was offended when Michael suggested canceling Christmas, not on her behalf, but on the behalf of baby Jesus. And then she goes on and starts comparing herself to Jesus, saying that Jesus would suck it up if he was two weeks behind on planning his party or his cats were ill. Uh, She starts innocently enough talking about Jesus, but then eventually she puts herself in Jesus's shoes or Jesus in her shoes. And that's really just not the way you're supposed to do things. There's one at Benihana where Michael calls Carol and he's asking her what he did wrong. And we can't hear Carol's response, but it's really, there's a long pause. So she is uh, <laughs> listing it off and he's just kind of, uh-huh. Okay. Yep. For several seconds. And then um, he finally just has had enough and he says, all right, well, could you tell me something that I did right? Um, so <laughs> we get in, you know, a little bit more insight into Carol's and Michael's um, ex-relationship, as it were, they uh, Carol did not see a whole lot of good in, in Michael, apparently. Nah. Now, 
because we like mentioning Creed, he has a moment in the deleted scenes where he says, I don't care which party I go to. Once you've danced naked at a hash bonfire with the spirits of the dead, all parties seem pretty much the same. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just one more I wanted to mention. Ryan gives Kelly a Christmas gift, but Kelly didn't think that Ryan was going to give her a Christmas gift. So she threw her gift for Ryan in the trash. I know it's complicated, but that's Kelly. So um, (laughs) it ends up in the dumpster and she feels so bad that Ryan gave her a gift and she threw his out that she goes outside to the dumpster and dives in and is looking for the gift. And Ryan, while they are in the dumpster looking for this gift or while she's in the dumpster, tries to break up with her (laughs) again. Um, And Kelly shouts back, don't dump me while I'm in the dumpster, which is just so ridiculous. It's a little (laughs) over the top. I can almost see why they cut it, but pretty funny. Um, Just extra Ryan and Kelly drama, which is always fun. It it was telling that they did break up. That was the the first detail we got from this deleted scene. And then uh, they get back together. Ryan tries to bring her a gift and they do go outside and... uh, yeah, uh, deleted scenes, as far as this show goes, I, I like most of them. And most of them they cut because of time reasons, I think. But every once in a while, there are those few deleted scenes, like that one I, we talked about earlier with Angela calling Toby pathetic, where I'm just like, yes, I'm glad they 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 took that out because it changes the episode in a big way. Uh, so I, And that one in particular, I'm just glad they left it out. <laughs> yeah. So I have our discussion topic for this episode. Um, A little unrelated, but because there was the toy drive in this episode, I thought it'd be fun, uh, especially since Christmas is coming up, to name a toy or something that you really, really wanted for Christmas when you were a kid. What did you think, Chad? You know, um, growing up, I, I guess a lot of the stuff I wanted were like video game systems, because they typically, not always, but they came out on almost a yearly basis for some of them. And uh, I was fortunate as a kid where often if I asked for something for Christmas, I pretty much got it. Not anything I wanted. There were definitely limits. But uh, (laughs) if I asked for something for Christmas, there was a pretty good possibility as long as it wasn't out of the cost range of my parents, I got it. So it was stuff like video game systems or um, nowadays it's just mostly movies, but I don't know. I, I had a pretty good lucky run as a, as a child, uh, with, with gifts I wanted. So what about you? I was a bit of an odd kid. I had this, I mean, up until I was probably, I don't know, eight or 10, I had this weird fascination with rocks. Yes. Rocks. Um, I (laughs) had this like rock collection of old, you know, rare gems or whatever it was odd I thought I wanted to be a geologist until I realized science is not my thing but um I wanted a rock polisher one year which was a really odd gift and I got it and the thing they don't tell you about rock polishers is that they are incredibly loud so we used it about one time (laughs) in our garage and uh never used it again but it was fun I, I remember that being one uh one thing that I really wanted other than that um, I don't really know. Um, I can just peg that as being the one thing that I re- really remember wanting. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that 
because I have a rock collection. I mean, I haven't added yeah. to it in a long time, <laughs> but I, I definitely had one as a kid. And my grandfather would give me new rocks every once in a while. And I have a couple of fossils as well, I think. Um, and I, I, I do also remember getting a telescope, I think, for Christmas one year, oh, my birthday, cool. which is less than a month later, too. So, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that triggered at least that memory. So, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Well, with that, that is the end of the official 21st episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on the show, facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. Please consider going over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts on your iOS device and rate and review us, maybe even subscribe if you feel so inclined. And if you would like to, you could also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can contact us directly as well. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then you can find me on my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found or on the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. And all the show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you all for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 21 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 22 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season three, Back from Vacation and Traveling Salesmen. Bye. <laughs>